Comics, TV, Movies, Video Games, and more. The Comic and Culture Cast. Holy send in the clowns, Batman. It's time for the Comic and Culture Cast. This is Lesh, your marvelous Marvel guy. And I may not be from the Capitol, but I'm your DC guy, Josh. All right, Josh, you want to tell him what we're doing this episode? So, yeah, of course, because I just noticed that we don't have an intro paragraph written <laughs> in our show notes, but that's okay. I'll, I will wing it. So we are talking about, as you can tell, we're talking about clowns. We're talking about the Joker. We went and saw this film. Well, um, well, I thought we were talking about It, chapter two. Are we? I mean, no, we're just kidding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I bet we just threw a bunch of people for a loop because especially the title of this episode is Joker. They're probably just a bunch of people that were really confused and felt really awkward. <laughs> so if you're one of those people, good. That was the intention. When you weren't saying anything with that long pause, I actually thought like my laptop had broke or something. Really? Like, I had lost you. I was like, why is he not saying anything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So sorry, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> confusing no, actually yeah. no we're not we that was kind of intentional talking about joker yes so very interesting film um you can keep listening we are going to give spoiler warnings before talking about the film itself please stick around for newsflash you want to tell them what newsflash is sure yeah so uh we have 15 minutes to get through all the news uh that has come out since last episode uh we actually don't have too much to talk about i don't think uh yeah. but for, if for whatever reason we don't finish then you can uh, find all the news that we did not get to on our Facebook page, and we'll get to that in, uh, at the end of the episode. Cool, cool. All right, so are you ready for Newsflash? Let's do it. second because i'm not ready i should have been setting the timer (laughs) no not a one hour timer this is not my laundry this is newsflash all right ready let's do it set go all right so i'm gonna start with some playstation news so we have a uh new trailer for the last of us part two that released uh, a couple weeks ago and it revealed the release date so the last of us part two will release on february 21st 2020 and now that is going to join uh, Final Fantasy VII, Watch Dogs Legion, Cyberpunk, and Marvel's Avengers for an already super jacked first half of the year. So we have a lot of games to play. Uh, keeping up with The Last of Us, some unfortunate news uh, for fans of the multiplayer uh, for Part 1. Uh, the Last of Us Part 2 will not have any multiplayer. So maybe we'll get mm. some later. They kind of tease that maybe we would, but at launch, it's just going to be single player only. Uh, finally, uh, PlayStation 5 was officially announced and will release holiday 2020. They haven't really said anything more about that other than the name, and it's coming next year. Cool, cool. Yep. 
Alright, so as I jump into this news, there's going to be some Joker stuff I talk about, but none of it is about the actual film and what happens in the film itself. It's about box office and other people's reactions. So again, do not feel weirded out that there are going to be spoilers. You will get a spoiler warning before we talk about any spoilers, so please stick around. So with that in mind, today that we are recording right now is October 20th, 2019, so know that these box office dates are of that date. I have three movies I want to talk about, and then two more movies in comparison. So the first three movies, our last time covering this movie, The Lion King, domestically is at $542,983,000 and change, and worldwide at about $1.6 billion. So that, that's a lot of dollars. Yeah. It Chapter 2 is the next film. It Chapter 2 is currently at $209,659,000 and change. And worldwide is at 449059000 and change. So about $450 million. Mm-hmm. Now, the film that we're talking about this episode, Joker, is already domestically at $247,229,000 and change. And worldwide at 737529000 and change. You might have noticed I said that with some emphasis because how long has this movie been out? Like... A couple weeks and a half. Yeah, Yeah, like two and a half weeks, three weeks. And it's already reaching those numbers for an R-rated film. Now, the next two I'm going to talk about have been out of theaters for a long time, but they're just for points of comparison. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to round up here. They're both superhero R-rated. Yes, yes. So the Joker was at about $247 domestically right now. Still growing. Logan was at $226 domestically. Joker is already at 737 million worldwide. Logan finished at 619 million worldwide. Again, Joker 247 million domestically. Deadpool 363 million domestically. It finished out at Joker's just starting. Worldwide, Deadpool finished at 783 million. Again, Joker is only at 737 million so far already creeping up to that and when it's only been out a few weeks can i add one thing too um, yes. also i just want to point out that uh joker as well as logan and deadpool actually i don't know about logan but joker and deadpool did not release in china too so like oh fair point something to just keep in mind there you know this is just like the u.s and uh in other china's obviously the second biggest market yeah right? and i were talking so, about this off yeah. camera when we were talking about how um some of these films like venom made so much mm-hmm. money in china because China is normally the number two, and yeah. with Venom, it was actually the number one. But it's just crazy that without China, without China Lush made a yeah. fantastic point. So just, They're making this much money. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to have a—we have 11 minutes, and we don't have much more news to go through. Mm-hmm. So I want to have a quick—still conver- quick, quick conversation, but a conversation here. Do you—number one, I think I know the answer. Do you think Joker's going to surpass Deadpool worldwide? Yeah. Do you think it's going to su- surpass it domestically? Uh, Probably not domestically. I think it's possible, but I'm I'm with you. Probably not, yeah. but still possible. Are you surprised that it is doing this well in comparison to these other two films? Yeah, but I do think that uh, it has had like a really strong word of mouth. Um, I'm with you there. Yeah, it, it's hard to talk more about it without going to spoilers. So just a couple more things. I would have expected Logan to do better just because of um, how positively the. Mm-hmm marvel cinematic universe was doing and i understand logan's not a part of the marvel cinematic universe it's part of the fox mm-hmm. um x-men universe but the people the general audience still makes those ties mm-hmm. 
Now, the Joker is a very, very popular character coming from one of the, I think, the top 10 franchises in the world mm-hmm. being Batman, because Batman and Superman are calculated separately for some reason. But so he has a very high respect. I don't want to say respectability like as a character and a person, but, you know, a lot of people know him. Mm-hmm. And so I think that helped too. But I really did expect Logan and Deadpool both to do better than Joker. Mm-hmm. So I find that very interesting. Do you have any more comments on that? I just think that maybe just because like, um, just I don't I don't want to talk too much about the film because I want to save it for the discussion. But I feel like maybe that uh, Joker has some word of mouth qualities about it that are drawing more people in. Like I think it's more unique of a comic book film uh, than maybe Logan or Deadpool were, if that makes sense. That's um, fair, yeah. yeah. Um, Especially since, I don't think this is a spoiler at all, yeah. it did not feel like a comic book film. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah, think that has a lot going yeah. for it as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think we can end that conversation yeah. there. And when we do talk about the movie with spoilers and stuff, I think we should bring back this topic. Yeah. And we're going to have a guest, just to let you all know, um, mm-hmm. coming on with us. And we'll ask him the same question, and we can kind of have another conversation about that later. Cool. But with that, I will segue right into my next topic before kicking it back to Lesh. Um, Jared Leto is upset with the new Joker movie because reasons he never really said. Apparently, I can just kind of understand. Yeah, I can kind of understand where he's coming from. You know that you put all this work into making a character, and then the studio decides to move on with a different actor portraying this character in a different way, but. To be so outward about it, I feel is kind of childish. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. Like I, I can understand his feelings, but I, we shouldn't be hearing about these feelings, right? And with that, I kick it back to you. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about Star Wars. So we have a brand new trailer, story trailer for Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, we should expect a lot more marketing for this game as we get closer to its release date, uh, November fifteenth, which is uh, less than a month away. Uh, the final trailer for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker will debut on uh, TV during Monday Night Football, which is October 21st. Uh, so, actually, by the time this episode's out, the trailer's out, so go watch it. Um, and then finally, last piece of Star Wars news, uh, Kevin Feige, who's president of Marvel Studios, uh, is confirmed to be working on a Star Wars film. Uh, we don't know kind of anything about that, uh, but hopefully we'll get some news on that soon. Interesting. Yeah, I'll kick it back to you. All right. Um, I think I'll go ahead and finish out my news before kicking it back to you for you to finish it out with Marvel news. All right. So um, the rest of my news, except for one little tidbit at the end, has to do with the Batman film, the Matt Reeves Batman film, where Robert Pattinson is playing Batman. So Robert Pattinson talked about the bat suit for his film. Um, Pattinson says he hasn't seen the final version yet, but he has a basic idea. He says, quote, Matt Reeves has got a really awesome idea about it. I think this thing is going to be very, very cool, end quote. I don't think it'd be more vague than that. Yeah, that's <laughs> but, pretty vague. Yeah, but, you know, I, I don't think we could expect an uncool bat suit, or at least in the designer's eyes, anybody trying to make it uncool. So we don't really know anything new. I don't know why I put that in the news, but I guess people would be talking about it, so I wanted to cover it here. <laughs> so um, next thing, Robert Pattinson was actually talking about if he thinks Batman is a hero or not. He said, quote, Batman's not a hero, though. He's a complicated character. I don't think I could ever play a real hero. There's always got to be something a little bit wrong. I think it's because one of my eyes is smaller than the other one, unquote. What? 
That's a really weird quote. <laughs> yeah, that that is. Um, but okay, I could agree. Batman, it, you know, he he has heroistic qualities, mm-hmm. but he is kind of seen as that more of a vigilante, vigilante than a hero. Yeah. But yeah, that's a really weird comparison to make. That since one of his eyes is slightly smaller than his other one, he has to not play heroes. What? <laughs> anyway, continuing on. Isn't um, ev- isn't every character the hero of their own story though? Yeah, that, technically. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good I point. Mean... So I don't know. <laughs> it was weird. A lot of weird stuff yeah. this week, but it, it is what it is. So, um, Michael Giacchino is going to compose the music for the Batman. I like him. I yeah, I like his music too. Um, he's done a lot of really good things mm-hmm. and really good stuff. Um, I'm really interested to see what he does with the Batman because um, when I look at a lot of his music, a lot of his original themes don't really, in my head, fit to the Batman. No, yeah, I agree with you. So I don't see how it's going to go, but it, it could be cool. Here's some of his um, works, if you are unfamiliar. Jurassic World. So there are a few times he took John Williams' theme from the Jurassic Park movies and used them in Jurassic World, but most of the music in Jurassic World is his original themes. The movie Super 8. The movie Up, my favorite animated film. But again, I don't see how that translates to the Batman. Mm. <laughs> um, Sky High. Sky that High. Was a, no yeah, way. Disney original film. The original Call of Duty video game from 2003. The Incredibles. And all of the new Planet of the Apes films, you know, War of the Planet of the Apes or Rise of the Planet of the Apes, all the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, all those films. Well, um, so those then, are just some that I mentioned. So then he has that connection with Matt Reeves then. Yes, the yes, true. Right there. Right there so, is a good connection yeah. there. Now, I can see kind of some of the Jurassic World stuff and some of the Planet of the Apes stuff kind of fitting and working for Batman. Mm-hmm. But um, Sky High, Up, Incredibles, Even although kind of hero it's more lighter. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And then my last piece of news is um, there are new trailers for Dragon Ball Z Kakarot and Birds of Prey. The Dragon Ball Z Kakarot trailer focuses on the Majin Buu saga. Birds of Prey trailer I haven't seen, honestly. I'm not super interested in this film. I never was. I guess I'm going to have to watch the trailer and go see the film so we can talk about it on the podcast. But I'll save that discussion for another time because we have three and a half minutes and Lesh has some Marvel news to go over. All right. So... Uh, speaking of Kevin Feige, Marvel Studios president, he actually got promoted, so he's now the uh, chief creative officer at Marvel. So this means he now will oversee all of the creative storytelling direction of not just the movies, but also TV, animation, uh, and publishing. So congratulations, Kevin. Miss um, Marvel has been confirmed as a playable character in Marvel's Avengers. There's a new trailer out if you want to see her in action. Miss um, Marvel has actually been described as the protagonist of the game, and it will be her role to kind of reassemble the team. Interesting. Yeah, uh, interesting choice there. But I think um, I, I think I think her role in kind of reassembling them and then her being like a real big fan, I think, suits her very well. Um, and honestly, I'm I'm glad they picked kind of an underrepresented character. Yeah, yeah. Um, and which quick is, comment on that? Yeah. Um, more playable characters in a video game is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, yeah. All right, uh, speaking of video games, I will just blast through this one. Uh, Iron Man VR has a release date of February 28th, 2020. Cool. So if you have PlayStation VR, go check that out if you want to be Iron Man. Uh, Marvel has announced the limited edition Infinity Saga 4K collection. Uh, the price for this collection is 
Uh, and will come with a Matt Ferguson Infinity Saga lithograph, uh, a letter from Kevin Feige, limited edition collection box, uh, exclusive bonus disc with two hours of never-before-seen content, and of course, all 23 movies from Iron Man to Spider-Man Far From Home in 4K, and you'll also get the Blu-ray and digital copies as well. Uh, that will release on November 15th. That is a lot of money, but a good deal. Yeah. Especially if you have don't have like any of those movies, yeah. Like that's yeah. I mean, I have them, so it's like pointless for me to get it. But um, yeah, if you don't have any like of if them, you, yeah. If you bought each movie separately, yeah. you'd spend more money. Yeah, but it is still a lot of money. Yeah. All right. So now for some really happy news: uh, an untitled Sp- Spider-Man Far From Home sequel really will release on July sixteenth, twenty twenty-one, and will be produced by Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige. So Spider-Man is back in the MCU. All that drama aside, uh, he will appear in a third Spider-Man film and one crossover film. Uh, so 2021 will be a big year for Marvel with four films, Shang-Chi, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, and Thor are releasing in that year. And we also have official confirmation that Tom Holland's Spider-Man will crossover at some point with Tom Hardy's Venom. When that'll happen, we'll have to wait and see, but we have confirmation that that is going to happen. That's a lot of weird news. Like it's like inter- all interesting news, but yeah. like, together it's really weird. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's interesting. A, yeah, that's all my news. Okay. Well. Cool. We have twenty-seven seconds. Awesome. That doesn't mean I that can... doesn't mean we can start making up news, Lush. No. <laughs> no making up news. The audience doesn't like that. I think so. some people, some of them like it. I don't know about that. See, see, one one of these days we're gonna end news flash, and then I'm gonna check the news, and something will have happened. Probably, yeah. And then no one's gonna believe me. <laughs> that that would be so funny. The boy who cried wolf. <laughs> the boy who called um what do they call it? Um extra extra. That's what the newscasters used to <laughs> or the the newspaper boys used to say. <laughs> um alright, but anyway, now we are going to transition into our talk about the film. Um I will play a spoiler warning in just a moment, but just to give you a little bit of um backstage pass type look. Right now it's the 20th, it's Sunday. We're actually going to have our conversation tomorrow night on the 21st, and the earliest you guys will be hearing this episode is the 22nd on Tuesday. So, we're traveling into the future, but for you it's the past. Time travel. Yeah. I always love it. All right, guys, and we're back. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the Joker, as we talked about before. So uh, joining us, we have Austin and Sydney returning. Uh, they were on previous episodes before. You guys want to say hi? Hello. Hi. All right. And I guess we'll get into it. Anything you want to add, Josh? Um. Well, we have our opening statements. I just want to say I never proofread mine. I just kind of typed it. So when I read mine... If I pause or make a mistake, that's why. All right. All right, I figure we let the guests go first. And usually when we do a Marvel movie, you go last. When we do a DC movie, I go last. Mm -hmm. So what do you guys think? Ladies first, we do Sydney, Austin, Lesh, myself. 
Sounds good. Yeah, okay, cool. Fun. Yikes. All right. I'm conflicted. The part of me that's a media studies major loved the indulgent symbolism. It played on the suspension of disbelief, which is a welcome staple of the thriller genre. I also appreciated the tug of war between dramatic irony and authorial reticence, which added to the feeling of chaos. But that's where it ends for me. The story plays on the demonization of mentally ill characters, which is both overdone and a perpetuation of societal misunderstanding of severe mental illnesses, especially personality disorders. But the writers use a very creative, but not necessarily factual version of clinical psychology. All in all, for a film, it was decent. For a character study, it was a disaster. One thumb up, one thumb down. All right. All right. So um, I did not write anything as Sydney has done, but um, my and I will be much more brief as someone that is not well versed in psychology. Uh, I'm a business major. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, no, that makes I, you much more tolerable. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I guess you're going to have a brief case. Anyway, um, okay, so I very much enjoyed the movie. It was, uh, I liked the realistic, I'll put air quotes around that uh, because of Sydney's points, approach to a a Joker that could be based in some sort of reality and the fact that they didn't pull any punches as far as like violence and stuff. Um, it really made it seem like this could happen or more realistically, realistically than something like um, the Dark Knight. I don't know. The, that's how I feel, at least. Um, I'd give it, let's see, eight whoopies out of ten. And just so you know, whoopies are Whoopi Goldbergs. <laughs> okay. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Austin. Very yeah. cool. All right. So I want to start by telling everyone about my viewings of Joker. I first watched the film for the first time with my Tito Wish on Monday, October 7th. Uh, right from the start, I always thought of Joker as an extremely well-done film. The cinematography, the score, and Joaquin Phoenix as Arthur Fleck all work perfectly together. The result, an exceptional piece of art that will and should be nominated and win awards. With that said, I didn't enjoy it. I did not like Joker when I left the theater after my first showing. It left me disturbed, uneasy, and depressed. The violence was too over the top. I came out of the film scared of Joker. It was just too much, I said to my uncle. After letting the film simmer overnight, and after reading articles and watching videos, my opinion on the film started to shift. I mean, this is a film all about the Joker. Was I expecting to feel happy inside by the end? A Joker film should leave you exactly how I felt after my first showing. On top of that, I started questioning what in the film was real and what was totally made up by the Joker slash Arthur. I'm sure we'll talk more about our interpretations of the ending and the discussion, so I'll save my interpretation for a little later. From the second I finished my first showing, I claimed I didn't like it, but how could I not after thinking about it exclusively for two days straight? Before my second showing with some friends, I messaged my uncle, the more I, the more I think about it, the more I like Joker. After my second viewing, I can truly say, that Joker is one of my favorite comic book films of all time. Not only is it a beautiful piece of art, but it's disturbing, it's hard to watch, and it's so Joker. And as a huge fan of this character, I can say that this film did him justice. 
In my opinion, the best films are able to convey the most emotion out of you to make you feel something. That's what every film should do. Avengers Endgame did that for me, and even though they're very different emotions, so did Joker. Now I'm going to give everyone a little insight on how I rate things. If you're a frequent listener of the show, you probably know some of the things that I look for. First, I always need to care about the characters. I need to be invested in the main character, and the supporting characters need to be able to stand on their own. Character growth and development are also very important to me. Second, the film needs to make me feel something, aka emotion. We talked a little bit about that already. Uh, Third, I look at the film from a pure quality standpoint. Do I genuinely think this film is good? Uh, Joker checks all those boxes, but it falls short of my small but still important final checkbox. Do I like the film? Now, I love it. I love that it exists. I love that I can recommend this really well-done film to someone if they haven't seen it. However, I don't like watching it. It is hard to watch. It's a very small criticism, but here's the way I here's the way I see it. Suicide Squad is a total movie junk food. It's very poor film quality wise, but I adore I adore that movie and those characters. It's a guilty pleasure. If Suicide Squad is junk food, Joker is something really healthy. I know it's a really good it's really good for me, even if it isn't the type of film I'd watch all the time. In the middle is The Dark Knight, a film that is really, really great, but also a treat to watch. I know that a fun film wasn't what the filmmakers were going for, but to get that perfect score for me, I have to enjoy watching it. I'm still going to give Joker one of the highest scores I've ever given anything. For me, it's a 9.5 out of 10. Cool. So for me, this movie is definitely one of the best movies I've seen in a while. It was unique not only for a comic book film, but in a sense that it took a popular character and showed them in a way that the audience wasn't completely expecting. It took my expectations and put them on their head. I left the theater with so many questions, and that made me really happy. I love when a film is not 100% clear on a few plot points and on whether something actually happened or not. It's my favorite type of film. Um, The film had such an interesting plot and so many turns throughout the plot, and so many interesting themes like truth is objective, but when it is treated as subjective, purposefully or not, chaos ensues. Um, There are also some really funny humor moments in this film, and they're not forced. It completely fit into the plot. For example, I'll just say the knock-knock joke was one of the funniest things I had heard in a long time. Um, I love how they took a very popular comic book character and made a non-comic book film for him. I would love to see more movies like this made, but definitely not a sequel. Please don't make a sequel to this film, but more films like this for other characters would be really cool. Overall, I really enjoyed this film, and although my rating is subject to change, like always, I'm currently sitting at a 9 out of 10. Cool. All right. All right. So I don't think any of us spoiled the film in any capacity. So I'm going to throw in the spoiler warning right here. Warning. Warning. Spoilers incoming. Time is X minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Alright, and we're back. So, if you have not seen the film and you sat through the spoiler warning, no spoilers are coming right now. So, what do you guys want to start with? Should we start with, like, can we start with, like, our interpretations of the ending? 
Oh, sure. Because I kind of like, like what was real and kind of what was not real. Because they obviously they hinted about it in the movie. Like, obviously, the girlfriend, um, mm-hmm. I forgot her name, that was all just in his head, right? Mm-hmm. And then him being on the show. So my kind of interpretation of what we saw at the end, um, and feel free to weigh in on this if you guys want, um, was that the third act was just totally um, blown out of proportion and that he was the one that actually killed the Waynes. Um, or at least that's how I interpreted it when, like, he's thinking about the Waynes at the end of the movie, when he's at the, uh, psychiatrist or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. like, why would, why would they show that shot of Bruce Wayne with his families, you know, in, in that moment? But that's kind of how I interpreted it. Interesting. Also, what do you think? I have a question for Lesh. Um, (laughs) when, when do you think that starts? Would you say after he kills the um, the big guy? I think bef- I think he never got the call to be on the show. Okay. I think yeah, that whole um, yeah, I, I think him killing the big guy, none of that happened. Gotcha. Interesting. Though the part with the freezer, that's like probably the end of like the actual. Mm. I that's what okay. I think. Okay, Sydney. Now I'm like reconsidering I was thinking that the majority of the third act was uh was real like from the moment that he went down the staircase dancing Mm -hmm. that that was all like uh what he was seeing and what the audience was seeing was perfectly lined up until the until we see him in the psych ward. Ideally, wouldn't he have been shot on sight after shooting uh, someone on national television? It depends on if anybody's armed in that area. No, but when the police got there. That's did he what surrender? I would assume. Well, that's the thing. He would have to, according to due process laws, he would have to if he's not act- actively threatening anybody at that time, then they can't shoot him. Because he has already killed the people, so he is not actively committing a crime. Mm-hmm. He has already committed the crimes. So they're not stopping him from committing another crime by shooting him. If he were attacking somebody, then yes, you can shoot him and prevent him from committing another crime. Because... um. Well, at least, obviously, Gotham is not in Florida. With current Florida laws, mm-hmm. like, um, you are allowed to legally shoot somebody and to um, prevent a felony. So if a felony is already committed, you're no longer preventing a felony. Like, if they sh- shoot and kill somebody and then put their gun down and say, take me to prison, you're not preventing a felony by shooting them. But again, that's Florida law. Gotham is kind of based on New Jersey, New York, which is very different on their laws there. But... I'll go ahead and say what I think now. Um, to me, I thought that from the moment he... So, again, with the, how the laws are there, I don't know. But to me, he shot... When he shot the first person that he shot, Arthur... On the, oh, um, the train that station? Was on or? the train. The first okay. shot was self-defense. Mm-hmm. And I think he would win in court, you know, a self-defense. But as soon as he chased after them, it was no longer self-defense. And from that point on, I think... So from that point, I think, is when the made-up stuff started, after he finished shooting all those people. And I think, 
about 90% of the film from that point until the point he went on the show is in his head. I do think there are a few things in there that were real, but I think about 90% of it, and again, I'm just making up that number, but somewhere around 90% of it was in his head up until when he went on the show. When he went on the show, from that point on, I think everything was real. Uh, I th- like I think he actually killed the big guy and let the little guy oh, okay. go and everything. I think all of that happened, but like I think there's a whole bunch in there that is in his head. Mm-hmm. So what about things that you could say don't go in his favor? Like um, that's what I was gonna comment how, on because like he sorry. he bombs he bombs like in stand up stuff like that. Mm. So go ahead. Lauren. I was just gonna, I was just gonna say that uh, one of the videos I saw where they mentioned that like all of the the stuff um, the good things that happen to him usually are the ones that turn out to be false yeah. or twisted in some sort of way. So I, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So that that's why I feel like that the whole thing at the end with him like being praised by all the clowns and whatnot. Like I feel at least that part I don't think was real. But I don't know. Maybe going on the show. Maybe I don't know. Well, I think that he went on the show, but I think it may have been in his head that he went on the show because Murray actually wanted him on the show. Mm -hmm. I think they were going to bring him on the show to mock him and make fun of him. Mm -hmm. But then he kind of was seeing this as his good thing and then had this whole plan in his head and actually executed that plan. And then at the end, I think that's like the beginning of the Joker clan. Got it. Which is an actual thing from comics, you know? Well, so let me ask this. Do you think he actually is the Joker? Or do you think he just inspired the Joker? For me, it doesn't matter because I don't want a sequel. So I just think it's an interesting study of this guy, whether he is the Joker or not. I think it's a really interesting study of this guy could be the Joker. And whether he is or not, that isn't relevant to me, at least, Mm -hmm. because I don't want something beyond this. And if they make a sequel, I might go see it. But I will probably ignore its continuity if they were to make a sequel. I actually hope that um, it's the start of a new shared universe, actually. I hope Batman is part of it. Um, the Matt Reeves one. Because um, for me, I would be like super interested to see, like, you know, superheroes in this world, you know? But I suppose. Yeah. For me, it's I like the idea of this standalone mm-hmm. thing and the end of a story. Mm-hmm. Where, especially where the end of this story is the beginning of a new world that doesn't need to be explored. Uh And that's kind of how I see it. I I know other people might say, I want this world explored. And that's fine if they feel that way. I'm just saying how I feel about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like what, despite what, uh, what Josh thinks of Batman versus Superman, uh, what if this, like DC has learned from their past mistakes as far as live action movies and extent and universes and stuff and they're they'll just get really good at making great films about characters that don't necessarily need to be connected but they're just mm-hmm. great films. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea of not having to build a bigger universe. Like on the note of Batman v Superman, I would have very much liked if there was Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Justice League as a trilogy in the director's original plans, Mm -hmm. but then no expansion beyond that. And then if Wonder Woman was her own film, if they would have taken out the bookends at the beginning and the end of Wonder Woman, it would be a standalone film by itself 
with no um, hints towards an extended universe. And then in a Wonder Woman 1984, which is the planned sequel, I assume there won't be any connections unless they're forced in. So that's a really interesting point where if, for example, Batman v Superman wasn't trying to make an expanded universe and was just the story of how the Justice League came to be and was that trilogy of films that might have made it go a little bit better, especially on the Justice League film. The idea of trying not to build a universe, but rather just good stories, whether it be a solo film or a trilogy or a saga. All right. So what do we want to talk about now? (laughs) Well, I have a couple of little things that I just wrote down that I thought were interesting points in the film. Okay. I thought it was really interesting how Batman and Joker were born on the same night. Not Bruce Wayne and oh, Alfred yeah, Fleck yeah, born yeah. on the I same see, night, yeah, but you know the I characters. I see what you're saying, yeah. You know what I mean? I thought that was mm-hmm. a really cool touch. Um, whether that's accurate or not, or what actually happened, it's just a cool little thing, mm-hmm. I think. That's a cool allusion to um, the whole plot point of is uh, Thomas Wayne uh, Arthur's father. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. That's a weird, like, symbolic tie-in. That's a good point. Um, let's see, we already talked about the whole movie is from Arthur's perspective, and you see him build relationships with the lady a few doors down, but it's revealed that it was in his head, and at the same time, he realizes it never happened. So I thought it was really cool how we followed his perspective, and we didn't... Like, I don't know about you guys, but I never even thought of the idea of the whole movie could have been in his head until that moment when he realized it was in his head. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and all this shows that it is from his perspective and his memories may not be true. So we don't know his origin still, which ties back to what we talked about in the last episode in the killing joke. Yeah. Where the Joker had that quote when he was talking to Batman. I'm going to paraphrase here. Where he said something, or more like summarized, he said something along the lines of, oh, it, what's, what is it with you, Batman? Was it this? And he said something about, like, girlfriend being killed or something. Or was it this, like, brother and mother die or something like that. And then he says something along the lines of, yeah, something like that happened to me once. It changes a little bit every time, and I can never remember which it is, but something like that happened to me once. It, it was something like that that he said to the Batman, and that reminded me a lot. The, this film reminded me a lot of that quote. So, um, One other thing that I wrote down that Austin actually brought up in, uh, when we were leaving the theater about um, there being several cringy moments and that being a good thing. Oh, yeah. Do you want to talk on that a little? Sure. So um, I guess what one of the big moments would be, well, uh, speaking to the this film's this film in the way that it's just a great film uh it plays with your emotions like uh, mm-hmm. like when left said earlier how like i didn't feel good after seeing it that and i was thinking to myself well you're not supposed to feel good it's that's not the it, it did what the what todd phillips intended that's his name right yeah mm-hmm. okay um it's douglas phillips anyway um <laughs> So yeah, so like um 
when he's doing stand-up comedy and he's doing he's doing jokes he's trying to get out one joke and he can't stop laughing not because he necessarily thinks it's funny but he's uncomfortable um and just watching him bomb and like you kind of just like uh curl down in your seat because like i don't know about you but it's hard for me to watch cringy stuff um so i liked how the 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 movie was able to play with your emotions in that way yeah I, i thought that was really interesting and there's other moments throughout too where he would just say something or do something that is just socially awkward mm-hmm. and you kind of like look around like you're in the room with him in the while you're in the theater and it's like did, did anybody else think that was kind of weird and like when he did the gun right to the girl oh yeah yeah like that was like that was yeah in the hallway <laughs> yeah that was that really was weird. Just funny <laughs> It was painful. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. It was painful. And, like, that was really interesting how, like, Austin pointed out how the film was able to make you feel that way. And it was intentional. It wasn't like, I'm going to call to another film where I, I actually praised this film, even though I didn't like the actor's portrayal all the time. Spider-Man Far From Home, where I talked about how there was some really good humor in that. And then the Peter Tingles was, like, really cringy. And, Les, you said you didn't like that either. The no, Peter I, Tingles I didn't thing, like right? the Peter Tingles. And that was cringy, but not in the same way that this film put cringy in. You know what I mean? So, I thought that was interesting. Are, are you saying that, I, I don't know what you're referring to, but was, was that possibly not meant to be cringy? I think it was meant to be funny. And it ended up just being really cringy. Mm-hmm. And kind of, I think, fell flat as a joke. And a lot of people thought it did. And that was a weak part of that film in my opinion where it had many other strong parts but and just kind of the comparison of good cringy versus bad cringy because usually cringy is just seen as bad overall um another thing i wanted to point to that you had just talked about was when he was on stage and the laughing thing yeah do you think he actually had a disorder that made him laugh or was that just something that he did nervously and he was made to believe he had a disorder that made him laugh That's actually psychologically possible uh, because they did bring in the fact that he had a traumatic brain injury and that can like alter at such a young age that can alter the development of the brain and cause some sort of uh, basically cognitive processing error where laughing at inappropriate times is, you know, common. So do you think it was that he had a disorder that made him laugh or that since he was told he had this disorder, he believed it and just laughed because he was nervous and kind of took on laughing a bunch because he believed that he had this disorder? Well, it I, I think it's kind of hard to say it's the second one because he, he does it impulsively. Like he, he doesn't really have control over it. Mm-hmm. Um. Until I think, does he do it at the end when he's when he's uh in the talk show? I don't think so. Yeah, not that I can remember. Mm-mm. So that that's what kind of makes me think it was this nervous thing. And when he got nervous, he started to laugh, and then he was like, "Well, it's because I have this disorder that I'm doing this," which kind of makes him not even try to control it. And then near the end of the film, he starts to have this sense of confidence where he doesn't get nervous, so he doesn't start yeah. laughing. 
but be also because of his confidence, he has better control. And then um, there, there was one video. I think we we may have all been watching it, but um, after the film, we watched a few um, videos just talking about it. And one moment they brought up. It was also in the trailer when um, when he's laughing while going into the the office of the the business that he works for and he's really laughing because um kind of like a, a situation that he was just coming from was supposed to be funny or he was supposed to be made uncomfortable by it and then he can automatically just turn it off as he walks out of the sight of those people oh, so that's a good point in in some cases maybe maybe he wasn't actually nervous and just to keep appearances up he just faked it hmm that's an interesting point as well um i'd like to move to talking about the humor of the film if y'all don't mind okay what were some of the moments that y'all thought were actually genuinely funny um i i thought uh the the who's laughing now joke that was actually a good joke and the robert de niro made everybody think it sucked when it really didn't which one was that one it it was like um i told everyone i'd be a comedian uh and they all laughed at me but nobody's laughing now oh yeah that was Mm kind of funny what do you think, Lash? Any funny moments you could think of? For me, the only thing that I just found funny was when the little guy was trying to get out of the room. <laughs> that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. And that was also something that wasn't... It didn't feel like forced funny. It was like, okay, I can see this actually happening. Yeah. And this is actually something the Joker would do as a character. Mm-hmm. So, and it ended up being funny, yeah. What about you, Sydney? I'm trying really hard because those were the only two things yeah, I the, could think of. There weren't too many laughable moments i feel i like the Some part people... i like the Go part too at the hospital when he's talking with the cops oh, and then yeah. he goes back in but then it's the exit oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> for mm. me that was another cringe moment oh really <laughs> yeah i thought it was funny <laughs> um for me I, well not for me i didn't find it that funny but a lot of people i've heard say they thought it was funny when he dropped the gun at the Children's Hospital. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that, too. Forgot about that. I, I thought that was a little... That gave me, like, a little chuckle, but I didn't find it super funny. But I can understand finding Actually, it funny. Actually, it wasn't... Yeah, I, I didn't really, like, find it funny. It was kind of just like, more like a, oh, no. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, that, yeah. Was, that was funny cringe. Yeah. There's cringe cringe, and there's funny cringe. Now, to me, the funniest part of the whole movie was the knock-knock joke. Can you elaborate? It was when he said, knock-knock, you know, who's there? He's like, it's the policeman. And your son's been killed in a car accident or something like that. I thought that was the funniest joke. Like the anti-jokes. And and the lady was like, you can't say that. And I was like, yeah, you can. It's funny. (laughs) I can't remember that one. It's one he's at the... the Yeah, on the talk show. Yeah, I think I can actually... See, there's a video here. I think someone recorded it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's a good that, one. That was <laughs> that was funny. 
I think I just more like how they reacted to it. Because uh, to me, like, that's a joke I would tell and think it's funny. But, like, only around the right people, you know? But that's why it was even funnier. That was like, wow, that's bold to tell that joke on live television. And then people's yeah. reaction was funny, too. Yeah, as as someone, I think, Josh, you are like this, too. Someone that that uh, despises political correctness, mm-hmm. I, I, I identify with that joke. Yeah, like, one of my favorite jokes in college was, um, why did the monkey fall out of the tree? Because it was dead. <laughs> that's hilarious and there was one time where i was in um an education class in college and the teacher was like oh we're gonna tell jokes and everything was very much like oh this is elementary school education and so like all these kids were like doing like venn diagrams and stuff all the time in class and she wanted people to tell jokes and so i raised my hand and i said why would why did the monkey fall out of the tree and she was like why did the monkey fall out of the tree i don't know and then my friend was like oh no and put his hand in his face i was like because it was dead and then the whole class went silent and then my friends started laughing, and my other friends started laughing, and we were the only ones laughing. But I thought it was hilarious. Uh, and that's just like, it was, seeing that scene was like a callback to that moment in my life, and I was like, yeah, I can relate. And that's a hilarious joke. So. That was, to me, was the funniest moment that, in the whole that's, show. That's when you're you're watching stand-up, and uh, uh, like Bill Burr says, a racy joke, and then he says, come on, now that's funny. That's funny. Come on, guys. Uh-huh. It, it is so <laughs> so is there any other humorous moments that you guys can think of maybe uh on the border uh, when he makes uh bruce wayne smile that, that was more of a cringe moment but it was kind of funny oh yeah that that was interesting yeah you're right it's very interesting kind of cringy kind of almost funny really uncomfortable yeah or the Thomas Wayne at the urinal. That same kind of like cringe, yeah. but sort oh. of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when he said he forgot to punch out. Oh, yeah, that mm-hmm. was kind of funny too. And then just punched the punch out machine and it fell and broke. And the thing is like this movie wasn't supposed to be funny. And it isn't meant to be funny. It, it is really a tragedy drama type story. But these little things put in there kind of show you a window into this character's life. So, yeah. kind of how I felt about it. I think we can move past humor. Anything else you guys want to talk about specifically with this film? I really like... Can I soapbox? Go ahead, Lush. No, I was just going to say, I really liked the score. I thought it complimented oh, yeah. the film really well. I need to watch it a second time to give a better comments on the score, but there are certain moments that I thought were very interesting that stick out to me, mm-hmm. but I'll hold my conversation on that until I watch the film a second time. I like that there was a lot of silence. Yes, right? yes. That's not used a lot in film, and it works very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to ask if I can briefly soapbox about the the psychology. I'm sure. Because sure. they gave him aspects of Asperger's or autism, narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, Bipolar disorder with psychosis, uh, traumatic brain injury-related cognitive impairment, and trauma-based stress. And all of those are not possible. But even if you had most of those, it wouldn't line up with his behavior. Like, the symptoms would would clash. And it it just doesn't... 
Doesn't make sense, my dude. And to me, I like that because going into like Arkham Asylum and later Batman um, lore, there's always the psychiatrists that talk with all the members in the asylum and they can usually figure out what's wrong with each person. And sometimes you'll even see like promotional material where it's like clipboards with all the information written for each inmate. And then when it gets to Joker, it's like, we don't know. And it's like, all right, we can have all these theories, but all the things we theorize about, it's like they contradict each other and things don't work out. So it kind of plays into the lore of the Joker of even the smartest of scientists and psychiatrists have no idea what's going on with him. So that's kind of why I guess I like that aspect of it. Although I can understand it as a criticism from a member of the scientific community, I think it just plays better into the character. What do you think, Lesh? What are we talking about? (laughs) All right. So is it texting or Star Wars tickets? I just got them and I'm messaging my friends. Okay. Okay. I can can pay attention now. Okay. What are we talking about? Okay. So something about Joker, right? Yeah, Sydney was talking about how the Joker has all these, like, symptoms or symptoms. Disorders. uh, Disorders that the symptoms would uh, contradict each other. Oh, okay. Scientifically. And she, like, listed all these things that he could have, but then you cannot have multiple of these things because the symptoms weren't all showing through. And some of the symptoms would have contradicted each other. Yeah, it wouldn't have been able to... What they implied that he was diagnosed with, he wouldn't have been able to be diagnosed with. And what they wrote him as having, he couldn't have with what he was diagnosed with. Yeah. And then I said, I like that because when you look into the uh, Joker's lore, there's an Arkham Asylum. The Mm -hmm. psychiatrists are always able to figure out what's wrong with everybody except for the Joker. And even the smartest of people are still baffled as to what's wrong with the Joker, and they have all these theories, but then the theories contradict each other. It keeps them a mystery, right? Yeah, and so that's kind of why I like Mm -hmm. the discrepancy that Sidney found, and from a member of the scientific community, I understand, you know, finding issue in that, but I like that because it better plays into the lore of the mystery of what's wrong with the Joker. Yeah. What do you think? No, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I think that it just kind of adds to the element of, like, you can't always believe, like, what in his stories true you know mm-hmm. so yeah awesome what do you think on that yeah i i mean i think the if anything the joker's supposed to be an anomaly so um i think the fact that he can't be figured out yeah it's it's just part of his character yeah it makes him what he is yeah as an amateur psychologist it just frustrates me. That's like the, I think that was one of the main barriers for me actually liking the film because everything I saw, I was like, well, this doesn't make sense. If he had this, then he wouldn't be able to do this. You were feeling a whole other type of cringe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and to me, again, that just plays into making him better as a character because, well, this doesn't make any sense. I was like, yeah, now you know how the, the psychiatrist working with him feel. Yeah, but you can still diagnose and treat without having a specific label, but they they didn't. Well, they weren't very good at their job. And then later on in Arkham Asylum, they try, and then he kills them, or converts them into Harley Quinn. So. So. 
Yeah, but he probably, if he were in, uh, in today's society, he would be heavily sedated, heavily, uh, guarded, and he wouldn't have the cognitive function to, like, be able to outsmart everyone. Well, maybe that's why they made the film in the 80s. It also is a movie, too, so. Yeah. But I understand, you know, it's really cool to be able, and it, it really helps a film's, um, score i'll say no it's a film's rating mm-hmm. and a film's goodness when it has realism in it especially when it's trying to go for a realistic take mm-hmm. like this film was but i feel like there are always going to be fantastical parts of film even with all the realism and the idea of not being able to understand what's wrong with the joker is the most fantastical part maybe the only fantastical part of this film mm-hmm. cuz the rest of it was Pretty spot-on realistic. Out of curiosity, um, because this was kind of a theory that one of my friends had, and I wanted to get your opinions on it. Uh, Do you think at the end, when he's with that psychiatrist and uh, everything's white and there's like a bright light, do you think that he could be dead? I had I a, really... well, because just one of my friends thinks that he probably could have died in the car crash and that all the rest of that was. I think that's an interesting theory, mm-hmm. but I don't think so. Like, I, I see the evidence for mm-hmm. it and there is no evidence against it, but the evidence for it is small enough that it can be ignored. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um. So... I understand like, why, why and would you say that theory. I just choose not to fall into it. Or why, why would you say that you would be against it? Like, the evidence. Because it's... Like, it makes sense, but I feel like that's... Now, that's, it sounds weird to say reading it to, into it too much, because all, all of this film is trying to read into it. Mm-hmm. But, um... I just... I'll, I'll just say it's an opinion thing. I prefer the idea of he is now being put into an asylum. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. And also, like, looking at the whole thing of what's in his head, what's not. Mm-hmm. If he's dead, there, there's nothing in his head. So it would just, it, it would end. And if the whole film was from his perspective, why would the last two minutes of the film not be from his perspective? Because he's, obviously he's dead. He has no more perspective. Well, if he's dead, Unless then it's like that, an could be his, that could be his form of heaven. Mm-hmm. That him just causing mayhem in an insane asylum. That's an interesting take on it, and that does throw a different spin on it. And I don't really have a um, response to that. I'd have to think about it more. But I, I still just choose the idea of I prefer him not dead and just in the asylum. But both theories, the one presented left by your friend and by Austin right now, make sense as theories, and I can totally see them being true. Austin's theory also really works with the idea that uh, Arthur wasn't the Joker. He just inspired the Joker, who was the person that killed uh, the Waynes. Mm. Mm, that's interesting, yeah. All right. Well, do we have anything else? Any final comments on this film? Would buy on Blu-ray. I'm on that boat as well. 
I think I'll buy the 4K with the digital copy so I can download the digital copy. And when I, in the future, have a 4K TV, you know, in like 20 years, um, and a 4K player. Wait, we have a 4K TV in the living room, Austin. Yeah. So we can just buy a 4K player. But essentially, I'm saying for future-proof reasons. I'm in kind of a weird boat because, like, like I said, I really love the film. Uh, it's one of my favorites of all time. Um, do I really want to watch it again? Not really. <laughs> well, but that's just because it's a hard to watch thing. But yeah, yeah. For me, I, I'm with you. Not because it's a hard to watch thing for me. Mm-hmm. We obviously we've talked about this many times. We're on episode what of the podcast? Twenty something, I think, or almost twenty nineteen, yeah. something like that. Anyway, um. People know we have different opinions on when it comes to films, mm-hmm. and that's obviously why we're co-hosts of the same podcast, mm-hmm. because we want to talk about those differences of opinions. Yeah. But to me, it's a film that I don't want to watch a lot for the same reason I don't like to watch BBS a lot, because I enjoy it, and I don't want it to lose that. Kind of like when you have your favorite food, you don't like to eat your favorite food all the time, otherwise it's not as special anymore. See, that's like, yeah, that is like the opposite of me, man. Like, I'm ordering a pizza and watching, like, Avengers, <laughs> like, every, like, other day, so... Yeah, so, like, that's me. Like, yeah. when I really enjoy something, I don't want to lose that special but, feeling. I mean, then, so I force myself to not have it a lot. Then again, I feel like Avengers is something more that you can watch multiple times, whereas Joker, I wouldn't, you know? Like, Joker mm-hmm. is not like an, oh, let me order a pizza and watch this on a Friday night. with. Oh, uh, other thing I wanted to add. Uh, one of my friends, actually, very, very good advice. If you're going on a first date, uh, do not bring a first date to this movie. Because it'll be really awkward. Well, it, I've heard if you go on a first date, don't go to a movie at all. But well, that is also good advice. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to watch a movie, don't watch Joker. Invite them over for dinner and put this movie on in 4K. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, Extended I, don't, cut. I don't think I'd watch this movie with anyone except other nerds. And for dinner, make chicken hearts and gizzards. Joshua. Just to make it All really right. weird. I think I think I think no, just, I think we're done. I think we're done. Yeah. Just just show it with. Uh, make sure the person that you're showing it to has no context of the DC universe. Yeah. And just say it's it's a documentary. Not a documentary. <laughs> it's a biopic. It's a biopic, and this is what you aspire to be in life. <laughs> it's a biopic of a serial killer from the '80s. Yeah. All right. So let's finish up there. Uh, I figure we have nothing else to say about this film. Overall, it seems that everybody had, we range from having some enjoyment to really enjoying it and for very different reasons. So mm-hmm. that's really cool. I'm glad that y'all stick with us, the audience talking to you right now. Glad that y'all stuck with it and listened to our conversation here. Hopefully we were able to relate to at least one of the four of us or all of us at different points. So from this point, I'd like to go into this activity Lesh came up with a great idea for an activity, so Lesh, would you like to tell the audience a little bit about it? Sure. Obviously, since we're talking about the Joker uh, and he's a villain, we're going to be talking about our favorite villains of all time. Cool. And we kind of decided on your top three villains and then two honorable mentions. You have to explain why for the top three. You don't have to explain for the honorable mentions if you don't want to. So I figure uh, we start with honorable mentions. Sure. All right. Let's go around. Um... Reverse order? Reverse order? As to what we did before? Sure. Alright, so I'll start then. Wait, are we doing... Oh, it doesn't matter. I'll catch on. Never mind. Yeah, so... um, Top villains. 
I actually have three honorable mentions. I hope that's okay, because that's what I'm doing. So I'm going to name the first two, and then we'll go around. Um, my first honorable mention is Dr. Doom. I find him very interesting as a character. Um, you could argue whether he's a villain or an anti-hero or just a neutral figure. It really changes throughout time, but I find him probably the most interesting Marvel, quote, villain, unquote. So, he is one of my honorable mentions. And my other honorable mention, well, I have two more, so I'll name one more, is not from any type of comics or anything. It's actually from a horror novel, which became a horror film, and that person is Hannibal Lecter, who I find very interesting, extremely intelligent is one of the reasons I like him, and very careful with the way he does things, and very manipulative, and just a, a cannibal serial killer is always really interesting. All right, and with that, I'll pass it to you, Lesh. Cool. All right, so my two honorable mentions. Uh, I will also start with a uh, villain from a horror novel that has since uh, been on the big screen. I'm going to go with uh, Pennywise, the dancing clown, because uh, he's awesome, and I like him better than those kids. In fact, I want him to eat all of them because it would be hilarious to watch. Uh, (laughs) And uh, my second one, just because I do have a Marvel villain Already in my top three, I'm going to go with my other Marvel villain, uh, which is Thanos. Um, he's the only one, I think, out of the top, out of my top five that I'm kind of like, oh, you know what? Maybe what you're doing isn't so bad. So, yeah. Thanos, Pennywise. Cool. All right. Um, I did not know we were doing honorable mentions, but I, I have a couple that I just thought of. Um, I'll throw in Frieza from Dragon Ball. Uh Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Super. Um, I think my main justification for him is that um, he's never... He hasn't gone the route of Piccolo, Vegeta, uh, Tien, all those previous villains that are now friends. Even though he's he's like halfway there. Um, but I don't think Frieza will ever go fully friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, going forward in Dragon Ball Super with the rest of the Z Fighters. Um, and then another one, uh, just based on our previous conversation and some other uh, performances, I, I'd go with the Joker. Um, okay. Mostly in film, because that's, that's my uh, uh, experience with him. But both... Um, uh, both Heath Ledger's and um, Joaquin Phoenix's portrayals, I I really enjoyed that, and they, yeah, cool. So. Uh, I got permission from Josh to have three honorable mentions as well. Uh, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast because it's like a super relatable, like not relatable but realistic villain. Like I know that guy. He was in my intro to philosophy class, and I hated him. <laughs> uh, JD from Heather's, uh, the movie, not not the musical, but uh, just because he has like the elements, like tragic backstory, dark, edgy aesthetic, uh, one-liners, you know, he's just a fun villain. Or villain-ish antagonist. 
Uh, and then President Coin from Mockingjay in the Hunger Games series. Because I just like evil authority figures. I don't know. <laughs> it's a cool trope. Cool. And actually to play on the evil authority figures, my third honorable mention is Zamas from Dragon Ball Super. Because I think it's really cool to have the idea of this guy who is training to become a Kai or a god of essentially creation. And he says, well, humanity always screws things up. And so I'm going to make a zero mortal plan and destroy all mortals. So only immortal people are alive. And then that way things can't be screwed up anymore. And then him trying to justify killing by saying we're going to stop killing and evil by doing evil. And I thought that was really cool. And then the whole idea of Zamas taking over Goku Black and be, or taking over Goku's body and becoming Goku Black and finding his own new form in Super Saiyan Rose. I just thought Zamas was a really interesting character. And what I just said of him being a Kai doing evil to prevent evil, and then the whole idea of taking Goku's body I thought was really cool. Does anybody else have any other honorable mentions? All right, now I'll kick us off then with the top three. I will go ahead and do my third. My number three is Cell from Dragon Ball Z. I really like how Cell is extremely intelligent, how he has all the powers because he contains the cells of all the foes that he needs to face off against. Um, and then I also really love how cocky he is and how he makes fun of Gohan for being cocky and then he himself is cocky and that ends up being part of his demise. But there's even points where he gets cocky knowing that he has something to back it up. So the Z fighters think, oh, we're finally getting him. We got him because he's being cocky. And then he has another form beyond that. So I don't know. I think Cell is really cool. And he's also one of the few villains from Z who we haven't seen return in Super. And I think it'd be really cool to see him return. I think it'd be really cool to see him fight off, uh, fight against Gohan. Like, I think it'd be really cool to see him kill Videl. And then that's like the return of Gohan right there. Cool. Of course, Cell would have to come back from the dead. So Cell comes back from the dead, kills Videl, and now Gohan returns and is super powerful again. So that's my idea for Cell. And are we going to have a conversation about each of these, or just go down the list? Uh, it's up to you. Does anybody have any comments on Cell? He's kind of ugly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I liked how you picked not the most obvious one. I, I think if I were to rank the the uh, the Z villains, I think Boo would be on the bottom, mm -hmm. then Cell then Frieza. Interesting. Then Vegeta. Okay. Because to me, and all of Dragon, Dragon Ball Z is definitely my favorite in Dragon Ball lore. And to me, the Cell Saga is the best saga. That's my opinion, of course. But um, just because of Gohan's development and Cell growing kind of opposite to that yeah. at the same time. But yeah, that's that. De definitely the best, the most well-rounded saga, I think. Yeah, I agree. All right, Lesh. All Who's right. your number three? So, uh, my number three was going to be Joker, but since Austin mentioned Joker and we've been talking about Joker all episode, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Harley Quinn instead, uh, who okay. I like just as much. Uh, and the only reason why I think I'm picking Harley Quinn is, uh, one, uh, obviously I, I like Suicide Squad, even though it wasn't the greatest movie, and uh, two, um, the only reason why 
I'm going to watch Birds of Prey is for Harley Quinn. I have no interest in seeing that movie whatsoever. The trailer did nothing for me. But Harley Quinn's in it, and she's really good looking. So, <laughs> All right. Harley Quinn. Let's talk about Harley Quinn a little bit. Anybody have any interesting comments about Harley Quinn? No matter what continuity uh, you look at, she has a really interesting uh, character development. And I know that sounds like really weird, but she goes from being like good to like brainwashed and evil to getting almost like a sort of redemption arc, which I really like. I really like the breaking free from manipulation and being Harley Quinn, not the Joker's girlfriend. Girlfriend, yeah. Girl, girlfriend, uh, victim, whatever. Yeah, to me, I think it's really interesting with Harley Quinn of how she has that insanity, but also that intelligence, and you don't always see the two together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really cool mixture in a character. Alright, All right, so cool. Austin, what's your number three? Okay, um, not really sure on the order, but I think that this is what I would do for number three. Uh, I'm going to go with Anton Sugar from No Country for Old Men. Um, you, so have any of you guys seen the movie? I have not. Mm-mm. Okay. I've seen bits and pieces. Like, have you seen the, uh, have you ever lost in a coin toss scene or whatever? No. Okay. Well, basically, the, my reasoning is he's a very methodical character. Um, he, there's this whole great gas station scene where he's talking to the clerk about have you ever lost in a coin to- how much have you ever lost in a coin toss basically saying um all right here's this coin if you lose um the implication is you're gonna die um but it's it's obviously much more uh uh sophisticated and verbose than how i explained it um and then he also has this like uh it's like it an air-powered nail gun. I can't remember if it's an, if it's a nail gun or a, a shotgun, but basically, it's it's devastating. Um, so his his craftiness, um, and just his methodical nature, I think are are why I chose him. Cool. That sounds really interesting. None of us are familiar with him, so there's not much discussion to be had. But I want to write that down because that sounds interesting. What was the name of that film again? No Country for Old Men. No Country it for used, Old Men. It okay. used to be on Netflix. I don't know if it is right now. Okay, well, I'm definitely going to check that out because that sounds really interesting. All right, so moving on. Sydney, what is your number three? Uh, keep in mind that I haven't seen the last three episodes of this show, but... Azula from Avatar The Last Airbender because she is ruthless, she is manipulative, she is gorgeous, she is so unnerving when, like, you don't know what she's going to do. Like, she's more terrifying when you don't see her than when you see her coming at you. And she's, like, primarily a static character, but she still had depth and backstory and wasn't just, like, a, a plot device, you know? That's a really good point. I didn't even think about her because, well, number one, I am of the firm belief that when it comes to animated fiction, 
Avatar The Last Airbender is the very best that there is. Um, and Azula is a very, very, very interesting character. And um, there are just so many good things about that show. We have to do like a whole episode or episode series on that show sometime because of how good it is. But um, yeah, Azula, it, like her, the way that she, I don't know all the correct terms and psychology terms, but the way that she like kind of presents herself as an authority figure even above the Fire Lord, even though she's a princess. And the way that she just takes command in such an... Not like a, a confident, like, I'm going to be a leader way, but such an evil and manipulative way makes her so interesting. And the way that she is the complete opposite of her brother when it comes to growth. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have comments about Azula? She's a badass. Yeah, that has that's a big part of it, too. And just her um, ambition and carelessness at points is what um is her downfall but also makes her so much more interesting cool so i guess that brings me to me brings me to myself on number two and my number two are you gonna take the one that we're thinking about i don't know let's see this character well let me say it like this I'll, i'll just go out and say it so lex Luthor is a very interesting character when it comes to how intelligent he is and how he works in the background and how there can be so much going on and you have no idea that he is in control of it but he's in control of it and like he sets up this whole big plan and you have no idea that Lex Luthor's a part of it until the final step and you realize that Lex Luthor was controlling all the strings he was the puppet master behind it but Lex Luthor is not my number two pick because my number two pick is the only person that I have ever seen in all of comics outsmart Lex Luthor, and that is Brainiac. Hmm. Brainiac. I'll never forget the one comic I read. It's called Justice, and we have to review it sometime on the podcast because it is so good. And I guess I'm kind of spoiling it now, so sorry. But the whole time, you think that Lex Luthor is in control. And you... He believes it. Lex Luthor believes it. The audience believes it. The Justice League believes it. Every other member of the um, Legion of Doom believes it. All of the members of Earth believe... Well, all, not all the members of Earth, because, you know, they just believe Lex Luthor's trying to help them. But then in the last half of the book, you find out that Brainiac was actually controlling Lex Luthor and manipulating Lex Luthor. And Lex Luthor would be my number one pick if it were not for this one story where Brainiac was able to outsmart and outwit Lex Luthor. And then Brainiac had an extra step and was like 17 steps ahead of Lex Luthor, who was 39 steps ahead of the Justice League. And just being able to outsmart people that quickly. And then the idea of he is, you know, a computer himself and can reprogram himself into all these different bodies and always has an escape plan that way, I think is really cool. Anybody have any comments on Brainiac? I don't. I like your your plot twist there. Oh, you did? Yeah. I kind of planned that, so I'm glad it worked. Because I looked over at your phone because I'm nosy, and I saw something that started with a B, and I was like, Blex Bluther. Hmm. (laughs) All right, so, Lesh, what's your number two? All right, so my number two uh, is from my favorite movie of all time. I got to go with Scar from The Lion King. Because 
Not only does he admit in the beginning of the movie that he does not have the brawn to defeat Mufasa, but he's got the brain, and he's smart, and that's what I like about it. Plus, he has one of the best Disney songs ever. Um, plus, I looked at the timeline, because that's what I do in my free time, look at the timeline of The Lion King, and get this. So, a lion's mane takes about five years to grow fully, which means Scar was king for five years. So, if that, you know, doesn't make him one of the best villains ever, the fact that he won for five years is pretty good. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, fun fact. Yeah, Scar, Scar is a really interesting villain. Um, and just the whole plot of Lion King is really interesting in how he plays into it. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have comments on Scar? I liked uh, his his hyena pals. I, I liked how oh, yeah, he had like yeah. control over them. Like, I, It sounds so weird to say, but it's kind of... It's the same dynamic that Ursula has with those eels, where they're just, like, m- minions. Yeah. I think it's also very interesting that hyenas are usually the type of creature that will try and deceive lions to steal lion cups mm-hmm. and eat them. Like, you think, you know, usually you think of lion as the king of the jungle, even though they live in the savannah. But either way, they're like the king of the savannah. And then, but really the hyenas are working to steal, like, lion cub babies away from the mothers and the fathers. So it's really interesting that Scar chose to work with the hyenas. And I I do think that was intentional by the movie makers Mm -hmm. to kind of have that idea there because they usually do research on these type of things. So. All right, Austin, you're number two. Okay, so um, with the perspective from the, uh, I believe, no, it wouldn't have been. Never mind. So, uh, with the perspective from the TV show Gotham, um, oh. I'm going to go with Penguin and uh, almost like as an added part, his relationship with the Riddler. Um, so, Penguin, I, I like his character because he he's he's kind of a comic relief for that show, but he's like super smart but also completely oblivious at times. Mm. Um, and his dynamic with the Riddler, kind of like a love-hate, we're, we're friends, but now we're enemies, but we're, now we're friends again. Oh, we're, I, I hate you, so I named my dog Edward. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's... That's why I chose Penguin. I've only seen the first two seasons of Gotham, but I have to say I totally agree with you from what I've seen at least. And um, their portrayal of Penguin and Ed Nigma are very, very interesting. And um, I really do like the play between the two characters. And then just also the whole idea of the Penguin is probably the most realistic villain. And Batman is known for, you know, having quite realist, being quite realistic mm-hmm. and having quite a realistic rogues gallery. But having the most realistic rogues gallery, I think the most realistic character in there is Penguin. Just kind of this mob boss that kind of came from a nobody up to being a mob boss and trying to control everything. Yeah, up, up to being mayor. Yeah, um, yeah, well, I forgot about that. He does become mayor at points. Yeah, and he, he makes it so all crime's legal. I think you, you can have a permit to commit crime. Hmm. Um, and then the, the police is essentially useless. Hmm. Really interesting, like how smart he is and manipulative. So cool. Anybody else have comments on the penguin? 
But then, uh, so just one thing to add. Go for it. So going with the oblivious point, someone that's smarter than him, which is sometimes a Riddler, but sometimes another uh, villain like the the Joker, which is uh, Jeremiah Valeska in Gotham, they can be like 10 steps ahead of him and he doesn't know anything because he's just hanging out in his bunker. Um, <laughs> yeah. Guarding his his goods that are worthless in this um, no man's land of Gotham, uh, so he can take them with a submarine to the mainland and eventually sell them. Cool. All right, Sydney, what's your number two? So I don't think anyone here has seen the show, so it's going to sound super weird, but the Archangel Gabriel from Good Omens. Oh, no way! You seen it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Lesh is my, my first pick. <laughs> <laughs> Friendship with Lesh has ended. Um, but he's just an incredible portrayal of like institutional abuse of power and uh, institutional hypocrisy uh, because he exemplifies a lot of things that uh, are supposed to be sins so that he's supposed to be like supposedly against he's like unsettling in like an uncanny way where like they really got the he's not a human thing down He's, like, something else, but it has, like, a dark undertone. And he's just, like, hateable. Like, nobody likes him. Like, it's just one of those characters that is unanimously hated. Interesting. Again, kind of like what Austin was saying with one of his characters before. No one's seen the show, so we can't really comment on it. I mean, I can draw a parallel from a different show. Go for there, it. There is an Archangel Gabriel in Supernatural um, where he... Is he an asshole? Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he presides on Earth. I think it's because he's hiding from another Archangel uh, because of some stuff he did. But he's a trickster, so he just like causes havoc for for humans interesting for his pleasure so sounds fun cool all right so now we're to our number one picks and for my number one pick i had to go with um a character that has always fascinated me because of one storyline again i'm going to care i think because i know of one storyline but i'm curious last who's my number one yeah from team rocket <laughs> Well, I think I'm gonna cut that out. Well, that's right. <laughs> did I did I get it? No. Oh, okay. So it's James from Team Rocket. <laughs> no, mm. not Jesse. Jesse? Oh. No. Do you have a Jesse impersonation, Austin? Not Jesse. It's all okay. three of them. <laughs> no. So Team Rocket's blasting off again. <laughs> <laughs> so my number one villain is somebody who I think has a very justifiable origin that plays in well to the protagonist's origin Hitler (laughs) (laughs) what? who's the the protagonist? Uh, and Frank the rest of the world (laughs) 
Oh boy, I wasn't expecting that one. Well, am I right? No, no. And then also this villain that I'm speaking of had a very interesting way of getting at his counterpart. And my villain is Black Manta. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So the whole idea of Aqua, depending on what story you're reading, Aquaman either purposefully or accidentally killed Black Manta's dad. One storyline says that Black Manta's dad killed Aquaman's dad, so Aquaman killed him in return. Another story you might read says that Aquaman accidentally killed Black Manta's dad. Another story says that Black Manta killed Aquaman's dad, and Aquaman tried to kill Black Manta but accidentally killed Black Manta's dad. And another story just says that Black Manta did something bad and Aquaman killed, tried to kill him in return but accidentally killed Black Manta's dad. But either way, Aquaman killed Black Manta's dad. Whether it was by accident, like we saw in the movie, or on purpose, like we've seen in some other scenarios, Aquaman is the reason that Black Manta's dad died. So that's a pretty good reason to be upset with Aquaman. So there we go. There's a justified origin and how it ties into the origin of Aquaman. Now, with how evil Black Manta is, the one story that always sticks out to me is the death of a prince. And it was the whole, at the time, the lore was that um, an Atlantean, whether they're half Atlantean or full Atlantean, could not breathe air until they developed lungs. So as a baby, they could only breathe underwater. Kind of like if you think like a tadpole turning into a frog. And so Aqua Baby, or Arthur Curry Jr., was taken captive by Black Manta. And Black Manta said, hey, Aquaman, I'm going to put you in this arena and you're going to have to fight Aqualad to the death. And I have Arthur Curry Jr. in a bubble slowly filling with air. And if one of you doesn't die by fighting each other to the death, Arthur Curry Jr. is going to die of suffocation. And so they tried to find a way to escape, but Arthur Curry Jr. ended up dying anyway, which then ruined his marriage with Mera, because Mera blamed Aquaman. And that kind of ruined Aquaman's life for quite a bit of time. And I just felt like that was like this intense amount of evil in a character. And I thought it was really cool for black man to be that evil and kind of be justified in that even though he's not really justified it makes sense from his point of view why he would do something like that after he believed that aquaman is the reason that his father died and that it was unjustified i also think uh, black man is just really cool with his gear his helmet is really cool and that shoots heat beam or laser beams his um swords on his elbows and his rocket launcher on his back i just think it's really cool and he's also really smart as a diver so that's why i chose black manta as my number one any comments on black manta he's my favorite character in injustice too yeah he is a really cool fighter he's in really cool that is true i really enjoy playing as him so. yeah he's my number one fighter as well i always go with him or aquaman but usually with black manta any other comments i i just feel like he's super uh, realistic in his motivations like just kind of confirming what you said everything he does is like pretty much understandable like 
he's a really well-written character in that way. Yeah. Cool. All right. Flash, you're number one. All right. So, I think uh, this is the only character, or only villain, excuse me, that I, the only one that I think I've actually liked more than its hero counterpart, which is why I feel like this character has to be my number one. Um, so my number one villain is Loki. Um, I love Loki mm-hmm. way more than Thor. Don't get me wrong, I love Thor too, but I think Loki carried the first two Thor movies in the MCU. Um, I think he's just, his whole arc is just really interesting to me, going like from this kind of just jealous brother to a villain to like, oh, can we trust him? Is he like an anti-hero? And then kind of basically in his death in, in Infinity War, uh, kind of in a way becoming his his own hero. Um, I, I Just everything about Loki I like. I would go into a fight with Loki way before Thor any day, uh, which is why I feel like I have he has to be my number one. So Cool. Yeah. To me, I, I just... I'll be the person to say it. To me, it seems like you see him more of a hero as, than a villain. Well, Just I the mean, way you talked about him. Well, to, to me, I see him more as a villain I would like to hang out with than, if that makes sense. Um, okay. A villain that wouldn't get me into as much trouble as maybe <laughs> the other ones would. That's kind of interesting considering, yeah. like, the Norse god that he's based on. <laughs> well, yeah. And, you know, I think the MCU really, like, makes him more anti-hero-like than his yeah, counterpart in, like, the comics and even in the games, you know, where he is more, like, super villain. Um, yeah. But I think the best villains uh, are relatable, right? So I think um, ones that you kind of can connect with. And I think a lot of, like, the comic book um, counterparts to these villains are just more, like, super villain, one-dimensional, which is why I think, like, I think Thanos in the MCU is way better than the Thanos in the comics, you know? Because you actually kind of see his motivations um, and kind of understand him, if that makes sense. So That's a really interesting point, because, like, everything that we just said with Black Manta mm-hmm. could be said the same way. Right. That with what you just said with Loki. So that makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. And now I'm interested to see what Austin and Sydney say as their villains, if we could see the same connections there. Mm-hmm. So with that, any other comments on Loki? I really like the Ragnarok... Uh uh interpretation i guess would be a good word uh of him just because he was less uh evil tyrant and just like youngest sibling who just wants to start fights Mm -hmm. for the sake of starting fights which like having a younger uh sibling or step sibling that was like that i get it it's relatable my sister (laughs) <laughs> all right so with that let's move on to austin what's your number one okay so um i was going to choose walter white but oh that's a good one but i feel that in the show he's represented as a protagonist at least most of the time so i'm gonna go with gus fring Ooh, I um that which is uh he's basically the businessman slash distributor for uh, uh, Walt and Jesse's product um, and they distribute throughout uh, basically North America and Central America um, he does a lot of uh, 
work with the cartel. Um, and he, one of his fronts is uh, Los Pollos Hermanos, um, which is a, a chicken restaurant, which he is the manager of. Um, and that's where he does uh, most of his dealings. Uh, so I think I, I chose him uh, in response to not being able to do Walt because he is basically Walt's biggest uh, uh, adversary in as far as um, how smart they are. So, like, Gus being, both Walt and Gus are very smart, and they are all playing, like, two steps ahead of each other, um, basically so Walt doesn't get killed because of something stupid he did, but, um, so those are my main points. Um, another point is that... Gus can be very reserved, very like, hey man, don't do this, or like, I hope you're enjoying your meal. And then he could also say nothing, go over to one of his buddies after um, Walt did something stupid, and just slit his throat to prove a point. Interesting. You just never know what he's thinking. Yeah. Unless it looks like you have some stuff to say about it. Well, I'm just a huge Breaking Bad fan, so um, yeah. yeah, I think I think the cool thing with Gus is that you just you never know like what exactly he's thinking or like what he's about to do, which I think makes him even like scary as a villain. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, I think he's an awesome choice. Cool. And last but not least, Sydney, you're number one. All right. So, my number one villain, Ross Geller from Friends. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm they totally kidding. I'm they totally were on a break. Killing. They were on a break. Uh, for real, it's uh, Khan from Star Trek, which... God, that's how I wrote it, with like eight <laughs> A's. <laughs> um, so, he's, again, ruthless. He's... Uh, this tyrant turned terrorist he is just like bringing the enterprise to its knees uh he has like a really cool like tragic backstory which leads him to seek revenge and i really like that trope um but the reason i put him as number one other than the fact that he's been super well received like and he's been like released so many times uh, is he's just this incredible uh, foil to Captain Kirk because he's like the same aggressive, uh, ambitious, like don't take no for an answer, no no win scenarios type of person, and that leads to his downfall. The same way it sometimes leads to Kirk's downfall, and I just think it's really great writing, and it's one of those no matter what universe. Uh, you put him in, the con is always going to find Captain Kirk. Cool. Cool. So, that's all of us. I want to say I'm really happy 
and no one chose Darth Vader. You know, I was that, thinking about that. I was like, is anyone going to really? pick him? Because I feel like that's a very cliche, typical, yeah. cliche, obvious answer. Where I think the original saga was pretty good. The original trilogy is obviously better but than the new trilogy. Than the episodes 1, 2, and 3, the prequels. But I think the original saga, 1 through 6, is alright. 4 through 6 is pretty good. But I do think that Darth Vader is a little overrated. Honorable mention to Jar Jar Binks. Okay, if they had gone Can with I... the whole thing of Jar Jar Binks is the is Darth Plagueis, that could have been an awesome story. Can I give another honorable mention? Go for it. Uh, any villain in history, but uh, partnered with uh, Venom. Mm. So basically, every single villain, but with the Venom symbiote. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. But that'd be. Well, I was thinking how intri- I was honestly thinking about putting um, Carnage as one of my honorable mentions, or or both. Give them Carnage and Venom. So just pick any <laughs> villain you want and give them the symbiotes. But, yeah, I thought that would be an interesting honorable mention as well, but I didn't put them in because I already had three. Like, what if Meowth from Team Rocket had <laughs> the Venom symbiote? That'd be... Pikachu's not really winning weird. anymore, man. That'd be really weird. He's going to take Ross Pikachu with in the a heartbeat. <laughs> or Hitler with the Venom symbiote. <laughs> Somehow it always comes back to Hitler. That'd be that'd be OP right there. <laughs> <laughs> Hannibal Lecter with the well, that's essentially Carnage. So yeah. Or Thanos with the Infinity Stones and the symbiotes. Doctor Doom with the symbiote, but Doctor Doom is in control. Oh, that's pretty unstoppable right there. But or the devil on... <laughs> with the symbiotes. Before we go off on another tangent, I think now's a good time to end that. I'm yes. still coming up with villains, though. That's why I'm trying to end it. Okay. <laughs> Josh is the true villain. Maybe of this story. You know, I think I'd be able to keep control if I had Venom or Carnage. I really don't think so. I think I think I'd be in control. If I'd be totally honest, I think they'll find me amusing. Either way, I think the crow would take you down. Oh, the crow with uh, carnage—that'd be sick. That'd be unstoppable. He'd have to have carnage because venom just makes the suit like what blacker. Is that even possible? So like (laughs) he has to have have a crow symbiote. Would you say the crow with a symbiote? Carnage. The crow with a symbiote is an Avengers level threat. That is an Avengers level threat right there. Alright. Definitely. Alright, so I think we're done. What about... Um... <laughs> okay. Alright, yeah, we're done. We're done. Post in the comments what you think would be the most overpowered person with a symbiote. Don't forget to ring that bell. Post in the comments. Like, favorite, subscribe. If you've watched Good Omens and I'm not the only one. Alright, so, Watchmen. (laughs) Yeah, so. (laughs) So we just make it a quick discussion? Sure. So, Watchmen, it's good. Read it. Uh, Check out the show. Alright, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Lexi's More. 
So, Watchmen um, is a very interesting story in the sense that it kind of took the idea of a superhero squad or superhero team and kind of turned it on its head of the idea of like, all right, superheroes are done. We no longer have superheroes. They're not a thing anymore. It kind of turned it, it turned it on its head before it was cool to turn it on its head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it took the idea of, hey, superheroes aren't a thing anymore. And so we don't really trust heroes anymore. The whole idea of who watches the Watchmen. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, the comedian was killed. And now people and are, then people are just like, out. what the heck? Yeah, exactly. People are freaking out and like, okay, what is, what's going on? Are they going to start looking for other, quote, heroes? And then it just kind of unfolds into the story of finding out who all these heroes are and how interesting Rorschach is. I think Rorschach is... He's cool. Although I think Dr. Manhattan is one of my favorite heroes because of how powerful he is and everything that he can do is so interesting. Rorschach is such a more, uh, a much more interesting character and the way that he is trying to discover everything. And he's actually on the right track. And if it weren't for how things ended, he would have figured everything out and been able to reveal to the public everything that was going on. I agree. Who would you say is your favorite Watchman? I like I like Rorschach. Yeah, but like, that's because like he's kind of like he kind of reminds me of Batman, but like not Batman. Yeah. <laughs> like to me, Rorschach and Doctor Manhattan are my top two. I don't like Laurie. Yeah, she's. I find her annoying. <laughs> I'm. I'm uh, I don't. I want to call her annoying, but I'm with you. She's not. There's nothing that makes her special. Yeah. To me. I do like the whole darker take on things, mm-hmm. and the ending. especially everything with. The are, we spo- are, oh, we, yeah, def- are we? Are we? Are we spoiling this or no? Um. Yeah, I'd say we can spoil it. Okay. We already threw in a spoiler warning, so. Well, so what? What do you think? Um. Like, should we talk about the end? Like, what's your... Like, what do you think happens at the end? Do you think that guy, like, leaks everything? I don't know. Because I feel like with DC Rebirth right now and um, Doomsday Clock, they're really trying to tie it all together Mm -hmm. and kind of bringing back that story and tying it into the modern DC universe. And I really want to finish... I want to catch up with Doomsday Clock. Mm -hmm. I'm a few issues behind. And then when it finishes, I want to finish it and really see how they're tying things together. Because I think it's really interesting. I, I really like how Watchmen ended, where it was kind of open-ended. Mm-hmm. But I do think tying it into this universe, the DC universe, as long as they don't answer every question, is a great idea. So, I don't know if that answered your question for no, me. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so that, that's kind of what I have Have there. you seen the show at all, or no? I haven't, not yet. I'd like to check out like at least one episode. The Crow shows up. Like, Really? Mm-hmm. I was afraid so. In the first episode? Yeah. Oh, they man, they, they didn't waste, the they didn't waste any time with it. I feel like they should have saved him. It's literally like first scene, boom. Uh, he's there. Wow, that, that's really interesting. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, anything else you want to talk about with Watchmen? Well, I, like I said, I, I think we're talking about this off um, mic, but... I feel like we really need... The whole reason we wanted to talk about Watchmen is because this new Watchmen show mm-hmm. kind of piqued people's interest. Yeah. Um, but I really do think that Watchmen deserves its own episode 
where we talk about the graphic novel and we talk about the film. I'm down, yeah. I still need to watch the movie. Yeah, so I think we should definitely do that. Should we do that when and the show is, like, when we've seen the show, too, or? That's a good idea. After we've seen the show, we kind of, like, um, wait for the first, when the first season's over. Yeah. I think it would be a good time to do that episode. If there's any interest in that, let us know. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of letting us know, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm Lesh's More, at Lesh's More. I'm at Joshua Comics. You can reach out to us on Facebook, or the Comic and Culture Cast. You can also find us on YouTube and BitChute the same way, the Comic and Culture Cast. Is it okay if I talk about the video I posted? Oh yeah, go and for And give it. a little tease for what we're doing next episode? Cool, yeah. So, okay, so uh, on YouTube and BitChute, I posted a video uh, for uh, Dead by Daylight. I had a really cool match with one of my friends uh, earlier today uh, that you guys should check out. Uh, it was really funny uh, just to kind of Pique your interest. Basically, uh, if you've played the game, you know, you have to open, uh, or you have to fix five generators, excuse me, uh, to open, uh, an, to open an escape door. Uh, and while you're trying to do that, there is a killer who is trying to kill you. Um, and so basically what happened was the person that was playing as the killer was not playing. Um, so we opened all five generators and opened both escape doors. So it should have been easy for us to get out. But because I'm telling you this, it maybe was not so easy. And you'll have to check <laughs> out the video to find out exactly what I was talking about. Um, but yeah, so we're actually going to be talking about Dead by Daylight next episode. Because we're doing a Halloween episode theme thing. Yeah, so yeah. I'm excited. i got to check out that video. I haven't seen it yet. You said it went up today, right? Uh-huh. A couple so, hours ago. Yeah, when you listened to this probably yesterday or two days ago. Yeah. Um, because now I'm looking. We're already at an hour and a half. Dang. So it might take me two days to edit this episode when I plan to do it in one day, but we'll see. Either way. Um, funny story about that. I got an email today, and it was like, the Comic and Culture Cast YouTube channel was signed into PlayStation Network. Was this you? And I was <laughs> that like, was me. No, but I know who it was. <laughs> oh. It was you. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. All right, Willing Wolfish Aqua Man, review side of the podcast. Well, that's just too bad, Aqualad. We'll have to see them for a Halloween episode. See you then. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky. You'll get by if you smile Through your fear and sorrow Smile and maybe tomorrow You'll see the sun come shining through for you Light up your face with gladness high Every trace of sadness Although a tear May be ever so near That's the time You must keep on trying Smile What's the use of crying? you find that life is still worthwhile If you just smile